If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. So I just want to welcome everyone again to Voice of America. And for our audio listeners, you guys um, have this great opportunity to intermix with us today because we are on a live segment of LinkedIn Live. And today's show, we are going to be talking about more about phishing attacks and more about the human element of cybersecurity. Last week, we talked about, um, I had Dan Lorman on the show, and we just broke down phishing attacks from spear phishing attacks and all these things that are happening to the CISO that he can't seem to control with the non-technical people. So we're just going to delve a little deeper in. Last night, I was reading something in Security Boulevard that was saying that in 2020, First of all, we really made the cyber criminals. We gave them some pretty fat paychecks. And um, I read an article, and the article was called, You'll Be Shocked by the Percentage of Employees Still Clicking on Phishing Emails. It went on to say that as a result of everything that happened last year, 85% of overall increase of categories in cybercrime for 2020. And we've had more than 600,000, not 600, 600% increase in phishing attacks. So how did these CISOs even wrap their head around what kind of problems they have and how can they stop these non-technical people from clicking on these suspicions links that they do every day. Right. I mean, and this is a favorite subject matter of mine, Kim. You know, I participated in a study by a think tank called ESI Thought Labs. I believe that's their title. And they interviewed over a thousand and nine CISOs of enterprise organizations globally in 2019 and 20. The number one concern was, was pretty much this. It was the users, user awareness, user training. And the complaint is this. I invest all this money, I buy a, you know, anti-phishing kind of awareness campaign, it's all very cool, there's videos, there's slideshows, it's interactive, we give, you know, Amazon gift cards, and the employees go through it, I've got, let's say, 60,000 employees, the next day, they're circulating an unknown link of a fat cat tripping over a mouse, because that's hilarious, and I just can't stop them from doing this, why? So that's the question I think we should tackle today. And I think that, you know, going back to the little bit of technical challenge we had at the beginning, for people like us that are, let's say, gadget geeks, like I'm not an engineer, but I'm definitely a gadget geek, right? I put a GPS on my bicycle when I was a kid before that was a thing. And it was a box, you know, (laughs) it was ridiculous. So I love the gadgets. And so I'm comfortable with gadgets. The majority of people are not comfortable. So that little experience we just had as we were getting on LinkedIn Live, as we were getting your radio show up and running, all this kind of stuff, you know, is the moment of opportunity for the threat actor. Because, yeah, go on. Well, no, I was just going to go on to say is earlier today I had a conversation because as I mentioned for those people that are listening on the radio show, I also have a business that's called FutureCon Events. We put on cybersecurity conferences all over North America. I have some great keynote speakers and we always have a CISO panel session. And I was talking to the chief security officer of Philly, like invite Philly, like the, the, just the, where people come and check out what to do in Philadelphia when you're a visitor. So he was just, we were talking about all the frustrations that he's going through with all. Now the CISOs are not only the CISO of their employees. Now they're the CISOs of the homes of the employees because there's so much happening inside those homes. So it's there. I don't even know how you, how they have time to come on my shows because they're so busy trying to keep the corporation safe. So he was really interested in coming and listening to this show because he he was like, I'm glad I'm not the only one with these issues. Well, and look at this comment from one of our users right here. I'm sorry, that's blocking our faces. I think I can actually do better than that. Um, Maybe not, but we'll see. 
Uh, so, so Lewis is saying, you know, my mom got uh, $20,000 stolen from her because she received a fake email from someone pretending to be from Amazon saying someone purchased a $5,000 TV through her account. It also had a fake Amazon fraud phone number. She called and luckily I walked in on time. She had to call her bank to close the account because he removed access. Um, wow. In and saw her bank information. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And this is what we hear all the time. This is the tragedy of it. And this is exactly what I'm saying. Thank you for the comment, Lewis, because it's like that Arthur C. Clarke quote, and I might butcher it a little bit. Arthur C. Clarke, he said, when technology is, is um, that advanced, something about technology being so advanced is indistingu indistinguishable from magic. And so to people like Lewis's mother, yeah, it's indistinguishable from magic. So I'm just pushing buttons here and things are happening. So I don't know which button to push because things are just happening out there. And this is the moment of vulnerability that employees get their corporations in trouble from. And, you know, the solution is unfortunately not the cyber awareness training that we've been giving people. Now, that hurts a bit with CISOs because we've invested so much money into these programs. I'm not saying that that investment is a waste of time or money. What I'm saying is we need to break those programs apart and we actually need to drill people because you don't change neuroplasticity. You don't change people's behavior without having daily repetition of tasks. We all know the age old adage of, you know, 30 times over is, you know, um, 30 days creates a habit, right? Or 21 days creates a habit. There's actually a great paper, and this is psychology that we're talking about here, Kim. It's very interesting. And this is where I think CISOs need to tool themselves, right, in, in taking courses and understanding human behavior and human learning. So there's a great paper. It's actually the most cited paper in psychological literature since 1956. And it was by a guy called Dr. Miller, a Harvard professor. And everybody knows it. It's the magic number uh, seven plus or minus two. The average human being remembers five to nine things for 20 minutes and then forgets them. So now think about that. And everybody usually goes, oh, okay, yeah, that's true. So now think about how we do these awareness programs. We take our employees and we put them in a virtual space, so usually at their desk, right? So we usually distract them from their work and we say, hey, watch this slideshow, watch this video. And then we test them immediately. So that's within the 20 minutes. And they pass the test. Yeah, I shouldn't click on an unloading link. Yeah, I should do this, that, and the other. And then the very next day, they've forgotten most of this. So this is really not the fault of the users within an organization. This is actually the fault of the learning management system. Right? This is the fault of how we deliver that information. And lest there is neuroplastic change, there will never be behavioral change. And so what we need to get at is how do we ingrain in everybody's life a cybersecurity best practices hygiene in their head? Okay, let's get to a couple of other comments here. So, so for those on the radio only, LinkedIn Live is providing us a live audience where they are also commenting and engaging in uh, the conversation. And Miguel, Miguel, thank you for joining us. It is all about protecting people. Yes, it's not about the technology. It is about the people that we need to protect. And so let's start thinking like humans and start drilling people as opposed to training them. No. So what do you think, though, because I was reading some articles and what do you, you know, the culture is changing in workplaces because now you have everyone, you know, working from home and from all the articles I've read, it looks like people are going to probably be home until there's a full vaccination deployed. Mm -hmm. So you're still going to have to keep all these tighter security things at home. What do you think about some of these companies that are starting to implement tighter regulations and putting tools on the business laptops like key logger software or what you know putting some sort of uh, surveillance cameras monitor work you know monitoring the workers you know what they're doing on keystrokes is this where we're going i hope not um i hope not monitoring um by video and even key loggers on keyboards wow i hadn't actually heard that kim so thank you for bringing it to my attention after this call i'm gonna do some research on that because that's way too 1984 for me. That's way too Orwellian. And I think we can actually overcome this with the use of technology as well as training, but we don't have to be quite as invasive. 
Well, you know where I got that from. I got that I was on dark reading last night. And that's, yeah, that's where I found it, that there are companies, there was a company in Indiana that had deployed this. um, They put that, that software on that keystroker and a woman was let go because she went and did something on her Gmail. And so it just is, it's interesting. And then you talk about us government workers. I mean, look at them. They, it clearly says on, their emails that this is your stuff is not private we own everything that you do when you you know that's very interesting because people need to understand that i've been given a laptop to do my work for example i have in a microsoft account etc i absolutely because i'm in cyber especially i suppose realize that everything i do there belongs to the company my communication belongs to the company i represent the company do i use my laptop for gmail absolutely right But when I use my laptop for Gmail, that's personal. And I think it's fair enough that an an employee like me is able to use my laptop for Gmail without a keylogger monitoring what I do. Now, there is an exception to that rule. If you're working for the NSA, yeah, you shouldn't be logging onto Gmail. And that's obvious. But here begs an interesting case study. Do you remember last year when Twitter was hacked and it was the hack that basically some high-profile accounts like Elon Musk, Barack Obama, mm-hmm. uh, Bill uh, Gates, right. They sent out tweets. So the hackers, the bad guys, sent out tweets from those high-profile accounts. And it says something like this. It said, if you donate $1,000 in Bitcoin, we'll donate the same back to you and then some because we're feeling generous. We'll donate to your favorite charity or something like that. Sounds mm-hmm. really implausible talking like this, but it was actually a pretty good trick, let's say. Now, Within four hours, the threat actors had amassed $118,000 in Bitcoin. Four hours. Okay, right, let's break this apart. Why? So it started with a phone spear phishing campaign. So the threat actor got on the phone to the Twitter employees and were able to compromise a Twitter employee through a conversation getting their logon credentials. Then they were able to go east-west within the organization and they found accounts of Twitter employees that had access to these high-profile people. So that's the problem. Why is Twitter allowing employees, and it sounded like it was pretty easy from the statements that I read about this, to find employees that had access to the former President of the United States Twitter account? That just shouldn't be allowed. So to me, that's poor governance, poor segmentation of that organization. Now, I work for a cybersecurity vendor. They don't allow me to touch anything that's critical in our organization. So if I personally was hacked, and it's like, you know, good luck, because I'm pretty damn smart, but if you are also the target of an advanced persistent threat, I don't hold people guilty for for basically being hacked. Because if you're having a nation state or some some cybercrime syndicate that's targeting specifically you, they're probably going to get in. And that's the way you should think about it. But in the case of me, what are you going to do? You're going to read my Gmail? This is what you're going to do, right? You might end up getting access to a few of my emails. But again, I don't hold the keys to the kingdom, and nor should I. So that's good corporate governance and practice. So that's the first thing that people need to think about before they implement tools to stop people from having their accounts hacked. But then on top of that, yeah, you have to have all of the right engines, right? All of the right anti-phishing. So that's something that a lot of people don't have. We see people having kind of an, uh, an older generation of cybersecurity uh, technologies, right? There are essentially five different generations of cybersecurity, and we're in the fifth generation now, which prevents the mega attacks. You know, think attacks on entire countries like Ukraine that spill out, not Petya, and end up affecting companies like Maersk and FedEx, which was in the hundreds of millions. I think there's also a pharmaceutical outfit here in New Jersey. They slipped my name, cost them a billion dollars in damages, right, from just that slipping out. That's a mm-hmm. Gen 5 attack. And we find that most corporations are at Generation 3 technologies. So anti-phishing um, technology is actually quite, it's, it's very simple. So every time you fill out a form field in a website, you need to have a technology that will look at that and find the back end of it. Let's say it's Amazon, and I'm searching for a new camera. Right? Mm-hmm. I go to Amazon.com, but maybe I fat-fingered it, or maybe the threat actors have tricked me and they've given me a fake URL, and I think I'm at Amazon. Okay, So that's the first mistake. 
training, which we've got to talk about, we'll get back to awareness training in a few moments, we'll take care of some of that, but let's say I was fooled, and then I go to fill in, you know, on the camera, the first time you click that little form field, the technology searches to make sure you're going to the actual Amazon.com, and if you're not, it blocks it. So there's a technology right out the gate, the multi-layered approach of training employees, instituting technology, not too invasive from that dark reading stuff, that scares right, me. Right, right. <laughs> totally scares me, right? And, and we can prevent a large portion of the attacks from doing these very simple things. I'll give you a trick right out the gate. If somebody is working in the Department of Finance, right, Department of Finance, you are responsible for money. Mm -hmm. So why not disable the reply button on email? Now everybody's probably scratching their head saying, what would that do? Think about it. If I'm a threat actor and I'm going to fool you, so this is business email compromise, which the FBI tells us is responsible for $6 billion in losses a year. I think that might be in the United States alone. Six billion, well, FBI, it must be. So six billion in losses a year from this little trick. So you're in the Department of Finance and your responsibility is to um, pay bills. And one of your vendors, uh, let's say it's Amazon, says, hey, this bill is due, $10,000, whatever. So instead, you get a fake email from Amazon with a, a zero instead of an O in the spelling. And you don't notice that and they tell you and they trick you. I mean they use a lot more panache than I'm describing. They trick you to say, hey, we've changed our banking details, please route the next payment to this bank. Now, as improbable as, improbable as it might sound to the listeners today, $6 billion, right? This is, this is a very sophisticated and clever attack. Now, if you would have just ignored the reply button, so if I was getting one of those emails from a fake Amazon email address, but instead of clicking reply, I click forward and I type in the known trusted email address of the person I usually liaise with. So it could be finance at amazon.com, but it's the real Amazon. So right there, just not clicking reply to any email if you're in finance, taking those extra, what, three seconds? This is not a big deal that we're asking of people, right? Click forward and type in the known email address. Right there, you'll eliminate 90% of business email compromise. That is amazing. I mean, hopefully everyone listening. I mean, that's just such an easy thing because the the non-technical person that is just doing admin work is not looking. You and I are going to look at the URL, but you know, just even people I know that I'm friends with that are not in the business, they are not going to look at what the URL is. They're just going to reply. You know, yeah. and that and it makes me concerned. I kind of think about that now because I think about I send my accountant bills to be paid. You know, I need to have a better talk with them to make sure that it's me. Yeah. You know, and it's just yeah. Another interesting article. I was on dark reading a lot last night. It kind of really it kind of got me in there, and um, it scares you a bit. But another threat that's been happening is with resumes through HR. HR is, you know, they're sending these resumes to HR. They'll post a job and then you're getting these bad resumes. They open them up to look at it and you've been attacked. So I don't know what the answer is to that. If you place a job out there, what would your, I, I'm kind of springing that onto you. No what, what's your thought? There is a technology that will take care of that because anytime you get any document in actual fact, there are technologies that will essentially take just the text, strip out all of the other macros, and deliver you a PDF document. Mm -hmm. So right there, now you might need the original document, the original Word document. You might want to edit it if you don't have Adobe Acrobat license, for example. And in which case, you can also then request the original document, but that document will be scanned for viruses and malicious content before it arrives on your doorstep. The point of converting it instantly into a PDF is because we want to accelerate business. And this is the battle, right? The battle is always... The CISO stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with the CEO saying, this is how far I'm going to let the business push me on security. And it's right for the CEO to push back and say, yeah, we're not going to do this at the cost of business and business needs to move. So say, for example, you know, everybody had all documents cleaned and scanned before they arrived to HR departments in this scenario. Mm -hmm. well, this could take hours. 
And that will slow down business. You want to hire people. So I understand the CEO's position there. We are not going to slow down business. So the solution is, well, let's give you a good enough copy of that resume. So we're going to scan the document. We strip out the text and we deliver a PDF to you. That's good enough to get started. If you mm -hmm. need the original Word document for whatever reason, well, that's having all sorts of criteria scanned on it to make sure that all of those macros are not containing any type of malicious intent. So again, we, you know, we have tools to stop this, but it's, it's, more about, it's more about risk mitigation and a risk dialogue than it is a technology dialogue, right? You know, we need to let the, the CEO push on security and security needs to stand toe to toe with the CEO. And this is why I've advocated for years, Kim, that the CISO should move out from underneath the CIO because the CIO is a technologist. The CIO receives their holiday bonus from saving money. Mm -hmm. The CISO needs to spend money. It's the opposite, right? The CISO has to be right 100% of the time, right? The threat actors only need to be right once. So this is why you're going to see more spend in cyber. They mustn't be measured based on saving money. Also, when the CISO is reporting to the CIO, you're essentially asking the CISO to police their boss. So take the Volkswagen debacle in Latin America. This was 2016, I think, right? So you remember Volkswagen, they were deceiving, legitimately, on purpose, deceiving the emissions protocol standards for their diesel engines, right? So they could get them on the road. Now, it turns out that the CIO sourced a legitimate piece of code to do this. Now, number one, the CISO has to police their boss on this. Number two, that wasn't malware, but that was legitimate code. So mm -hmm. it begs the question that is it time, and it is, that the, the, the role of the CISO has matured to a place where we are now risk analysts and risk mitigators, right? We are not technologists in cyber. We have technologists working for us. There is a massive amount of technology. And in fact, all our solutions are technology, except you know, the awareness that I want to get back to that discussion in a few moments. But they, they have to hone a skill set that is probably more in line with the general counsel. When you think about the Volkswagen hack, mm -hmm. it wasn't a hack. You see, there I go, I'm calling it a hack. It wasn't a right. hack. It was legitimate. It was on purpose. Right? The gen so maybe reporting to the CEO with a dotted line to the general counsel. That would be an interesting scenario, I think. But it has, you know, our, our, our world in cybersecurity was only birthed 20 years, 25 years ago, if you think about that, right? Today, there are cybersecurity undergraduate degrees, master's degrees. Right. It, it, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I've been in this industry about 25 years. And when I started doing events, they were just called technology events. And then it was... You know, right around 9-11 is when cybersecurity kind of, you started hearing it and it's time and now it's just, you know, it, it's crazy. It is the business these young people should get into. But going back to what I was talking about, putting certain types of tools where that's not really ideal because you don't want to, you know, create that kind of culture in your workplace. But shouldn't there be some sort of responsibility on the non-technical employee for clicking a link? Because, you know, him clicking that link could possibly shut that business down or if it's a smaller business take this you know ceo out of business where does the where does the responsibility lie on the non-technical person for just being on a break and like you said clicking on some video because they think it's funny yeah we've been wrestling with this one for a while haven't we i'm going to use mm -hmm. another um real world case and, and by the way to all our listeners whenever i bring up a real world case it's, it's not necessarily, it's not at all, to punish the victim. We, we see that a lot in the media, and that's not cool. We don't want to punish the victim, but we do want to learn from them. So um, Tesla was hacked. This is quite a few years ago now, right? And it's because Storage Guy didn't close the S3 container in AWS. Now, your audience is not, I'm assuming, not, not as technical uh, to understand what I just said as possible. So let me break that down a little bit. So uh, Amazon Web Services... Um, stores uh, information for people, right? They use their servers to store and use all of your websites and everything else. Okay. 
In AWS, there's something called an S3 container, and that's simply a storage container. So it's an online, it's a cloud storage container. So just think storing you know, volumes of data. That's it, on somebody else's computer. Okay, so storage guy works at Tesla, and for some reason didn't toggle a button. It was just a button, right? Toggle a button, okay? Mm -hmm. In order for that S3 container to be default closed. Now, this is interesting, and this is the answer to your question. Where does the culpability lie? So in that conversation, it was, well, look, man, we told you to toggle the button. You didn't toggle the button. Fair enough. But that employee's response is, when I was onboarded three years ago, you told me once to toggle the button. Hmm. Right. Fair enough, right? Mm -hmm. So the culpability is certainly shared. And here's how I would set up the program. If I were a CISO, this is how I would do it. I mentioned drilling, not training. Drilling is a scary word, but it's okay. It's where I, I got it actually from a great white paper that a West Point cadet wrote, this is over 15 years ago now. And he used a wonderful little, and, and although sad, example of the Battle of Gettysburg in a paper he called Drilling Versus Training. Now. The US military records everything. There isn't another organization in the world that doesn't meticulously record absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. So we know that we can use this great historical record from the US military as, as factual evidence and guidance. At the Battle of Gettysburg, 90% of soldiers did not even discharge their weapon. They didn't even pull the trigger. Now we know this from the 18,000 fully loaded muskets lying next to all of the fallen soldiers' bodies and a full issue of bullets in their pouch. Those poor guys just hunkered down and died. And that's because training back in those days was archaic. Training back mm -hmm. in those days was really obviously substandard. Did you know, and I, I love history and military history, that mm -hmm. the, the Spitfire, which was the British plane in uh, World War II, the pilots that flew those Spitfires, oftentimes the first time they were flying any plane, and we're talking 18-year-old lads, was when they flew into combat. That was the first time they flew. Prior to that, they were just sitting in a wooden box with ropes, just pulling, top, pulling ropes and pushing pieces of wood. So that's not, that's not drilling, that's inadequate training. Now fast forward from the Battle of Gettysburg to the Vietnam War. The US military had completely reversed that trend where 90% of soldiers ran into a hellfire of bullets and essentially did what is against the human condition, kill or be killed, right? Mm -hmm. So how? And that's what the paper was about. The paper was about drilling, not training. Drilling and simulation. We can't tell Tesla storage guy, toggle that button three years ago and expect him to do it. Right. Lean in his direction on this one. But if we were to drill our users for, let's say, 60 seconds or less every single day in something to do with cyber specific to their job, look, if you're responsible for something that can hack in a, a company like Tesla, or if you are in the Department of Finance and you can bankrupt the company, it's fair enough that I get you for a minute a day. As the CISO, it's fair enough that I get your attention for a minute a day and I continue to drill you in great cyber hygiene. And if you do that, and let's say you tie it to the performance review, right? So people get their annual bonus at the end of the year from paying attention to this thing, mm -hmm. or they get punished, right? And so to answer your question on culpability, I think if we were to say to somebody in the Department of Finance that, hey, you do this 60 seconds of training every single day, and it might help you get your annual bonus. If you don't do it, or if you fail the tests I give you, let's say once a month on this, because you don't want to test right after training, because we all know from Dr. Miller that doesn't work. And if you fail those tests, then might, your life might be a little bit more difficult for you. And I, I don't mean that as a threat. I mean that as if you're in the Department of Finance and, and you could bankrupt the company and you're failing business email compromise testing, then maybe you don't get to sign checks without somebody else approving them first.
Well, it kind of reminds me, I was in the Navy for six years and I worked in a squadron and every morning, every morning when you would go to work, you would hear a message like over the bullhorns back then we didn't have cell phones and computers and you would just hear a daily message from the CEO. Everyone would have to stand at attention. You know, there's probably 400 people that worked at the squadron and it was his daily safety message every single morning. So it seems to me if there was just some Something coming every day until it's just pounded in your head. I guess it's the same as drilling, you know, and if you're just saying it, I, I can see, you know, technology is boring to people that are non-technical. It's just boring. I mean, people people don't want to listen to it. So apathy clock it's indistinguishable from magic. We gotta get that around our heads because you and I, let's call us gadget geeks, right? We mm-hmm. we live and breathe this. The CISOs live and breathe this, but it's like learning a foreign language and rocket science at the same time. Well, I really like that. I like that. I think that's a really good tip for the security teams. If there was something, I don't know what it would be. You're the expert that could just every day, you know, it's just like teaching a baby to walk, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you just, it has to be repetitive and, uh, maybe it's happening, but why are these people still clicking on these links? And if it was up 600% phishing attacks last year, that's crazy. And I, of course, it's probably from everyone working at home or just the criminals are getting smarter. We're making it easier for them. So I know that there are people listening today or that will click on this once it's on demand that want to know, what can I do? These CISOs, it seems like they're banging their head against the wall trying to figure out how to communicate the importance of well, this. Well, I, I will keep discussing this right now, but if anybody wants to continue the discussion, I love this kind of stuff. And you can find Kim and I easily on LinkedIn, right? And then we can have a public discussion about it because I've mm-hmm. got some great ideas on how people could do that. And in actual fact, it's somewhat easy. It's just that we haven't done it. We haven't thought outside of the box to be, you know, use that nomenclature. Um, so it would be a fairly simple thing to do, to drill people every day for a minute or two or less, right? And that would have a far better effect on neuroplasticity and therefore behavior than one full day of training a year or even a quarter or a month. And, you know, training is happening and there's some wonderful training programs out there, but um, it's clearly not being drilled into them. We've got an interesting comment from one of the users here. So, Keith, thank you very much for, uh, for tuning in to LinkedIn. Um, the phishing attempts are through the roof. I invest in ongoing end-user training. So, exactly. So, Keith, thank you. You're, to ratify the dialogue we're having makes me feel good because I do feel that, that the importance of cyber became much more realized in 2020. Because you and I, Kim, deal with this every day, we think everybody deals with it. But they mm-hmm. actually don't. Most people, cybersecurity is very foreign to them. So with people like Keith, with people like yourself, every single day, and uh, thank you very much, by the way, for, uh, Ange, for saying a great talk and congrats. Good to see your, uh, good to see your name there, Ange. Great colleague, great human being up in Canada. Um, yeah, if people can really solve that little problem. Um, but the other part of it is that I think CEOs need to, need to sit down with their CISO and need to have their CISO report to them. That would really help. Like Jamie Dimon, for example, boasts that they spend at JP Morgan a billion dollars a year in cyber. Now, that's an outrageous amount of money, but I think you're probably right. I think they probably do, you know, because infrastructure costs money, you know? I mean, some of these organizations that have multiple branches like that would easily pay $100 million just to refresh one appliance in each of those locations. Well, going back to infrastructure, you know, another point I wanted to bring up is, you know, now there is new infrastructure in the homes and you've got, you know, the JP Morgans can afford, you know, the the high tech stuff that they're putting in their employees' homes. But what are you going to do with the, you know, small to medium business that they can't afford these high tech things, these these VPNs and, you know, they're they're just relying on their their employees to make the right decisions. Uh, I, I think they can also buy some technology. I mean, you know, for because, uh, you know, banks are obviously more targeted than a smaller organization, right? Because mm-hmm. they've got the keys to the kingdom on massive right. wealth. So you typically have those guys uh, investing in enterprise technology tools. 
But those same enterprise companies love the SMB market and essentially just take those same very expensive tools and run them down into a little box that costs, you know, a thousand bucks. I don't know that there's an excuse not to have a budget of in a company of any size for cybersecurity today. Um, and, and I think you're right that they do need to rely on employees and might actually have a slightly better chance. I'm just thinking of this off the cuff because if you work for an organization that has 100 people and you're the CEO, you can pretty much call every single one of them throughout the week, couldn't you? Mm -hmm. Well, everyone. Jamie Dimon can't do that, right? And so you could have a little bit more you know, control, if you want to use that word, of those 100 people. So you have a better probability of making sure those 100 employees understand the severity of cybersecurity. At a big bank with 70,000 employees, yeah, that communication is a lot harder. So, but it's offset by having a billion dollars worth of cybersecurity right. in the organization. Yeah, with cyber and the internet, we're building the plane as we fly, right? So mm -hmm. many actors, and so they are at the same disadvantage of building the plane as we fly. But as I mentioned earlier, the one advantage they, two actually, two advantages they have over us is that they only need to be right once. We need to be right 100% of the time. The other advantage that threat actors have is essentially they, they surprise us. You know, if you were as muscly as Arnold Schwarzenegger and a skinny guy hid in a dark corner with a baseball bat, who's going to win that fight? It's a skinny guy with a, in the dark corner with a baseball. It doesn't matter how tough you are. Right. If someone has the element of surprise on you, then you're going down. That They have that advantage because people don't generally expect uh, people to 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 be attacked, right? Miguel, thank you for the thumbs up, my friend. Exactly, yes. Um, you know what, and Kim, I've got to say, look, and I mean this genuinely, I've got to say a thank you to people like you, because you're bringing awareness through this radio program just out of, I, I, really, just the, the goodness of your heart, as well as, you know, promotion of your business, FutureCon, but you putting on FutureCon is also a business that has brought awareness to what, tens of thousands, maybe over 100,000 people by now? Are you touching yeah. a million? Right? So this is why I'm a massive proponent of, of uh, your organization. And James Azer, who's letting us use a lot of his software to have this conversation today, same thing. He's on LinkedIn and live and talking every single day. There's guys like me out there every single day just promoting this, right, uh, essentially free of charge to people. Anyone can tune in and listen yeah, to this. I know, and I'm so amazed with, like, my events that I do about, well, now virtually I think we had 35 in 2021. I have high-level CISOs that come and speak for an hour for free. They don't charge me. They sit on panels, and they're the heroes because they're just, you know, because when they come to my show and they speak, then, you know, they bring the attendees because the attendees want to hear, and then you have the sponsors, and it's just this circle of life in this world I'm living in. But everyone's doing their part to just keep, you know, keep us all safe. And there, you know, exactly. yesterday, yesterday's news was old news. And now we have to worry about what's going to happen today. Well, and for the people only listening, you know, there's, there's people even on LinkedIn that are contributing to this dialogue live right now. So what a beautiful community that we belong to, Kim. So right. Keith, thank you for commenting this. It's not only the old tricks you need to watch out for, it's also the new ones. And Keith, if you have anything in mind, um, I'd throw it in the comments and I'll bring it up because I'd like, I need to stay abreast of this myself, right? We're all in this thing together. And uh, Ange jumped in back in again and said, don't forget to mention zero trust idea. Exactly, Ange. Exactly. And yep. Patrick's coming in on doesn't matter how tough you are. Right, Patty? Exactly. Patrick Edwards, awesome guy, just jumped into the fray in cybersecurity with us uh, in the industry uh, a few months ago. So fantastic. Thank you for that comment. Yeah, so, so our, our challenge and <laughs> our challenge on Patrick's comment, this is quite interesting, almost doesn't matter how tough you are with all the technology and training you have, the element of surprise is going to get us. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't build muscle like Arnold Schwarzenegger. We should be healthy and as strong as we can possibly be. But if you, and, and the people aren't going to like this, right, and I don't mean this pessimistically, I'm an optimist, I'm always a cut three-quarters full guy. If you are the target of an advanced persistent threat 
from a cybercrime syndicate or nation state, they're gonna get in. Now, mm -hmm. why am I saying that? You need a good disaster recovery plan. When somebody gets in, when they're able to break into your network, you need to be able to mitigate the damage as quickly as possible. This is just a good thing, a good practice to have. Whether you're a company of 100 people, and certainly the companies of 70,000 people have this. And if you think about it, it's like the stock market. When the global pandemic first happened, everybody was like pretty unsure, like what's gonna happen here? This is crazy and there's no toilet paper, what's going on? Mm -hmm. But in actual fact, things just carried on running. All the essential critical infrastructure just carried on running with everybody running home. Why? Because the disaster recovery plans have already been baked into these essential services. So as an organization, what you need to do is take templates that are free online from critical infrastructure, like the lights are on right now, right? So your utility system has a disaster recovery plan. Use that as a template so that you too can have some kind of plan for when, I'm gonna say when, an mm -hmm. event happens. And so um, Miguel, if people, Miguel, another comment here for the listeners, if people learn the basics, the attack surface will decrease. Right, it's about decreasing the attack surface. Very good. Correct behavior with good habits. What Miguel means by decreasing the attack surface here is what I mentioned a little earlier with the Twitter employees. The attack surface was big because Twitter employees had access to former president and multi-billionaire accounts. Don't give them access to these accounts. Maybe one person in the organization has that with a backup in case that person goes AWOL, right? Mm -hmm. And so you reduce the attack surface in that case. So the threat actors got into Twitter, but if people didn't have access to presidential Twitter accounts, the damage couldn't have been done. And uh, thank you for agreeing. Exactly, Patrick. Good man. Um, good. Keep the comments coming, my friends. And uh, Kim, we've got 15 minutes right in our show. What else should we discuss? What's on the agenda here? Well, you know, we continue to talk about, we have people that are going to listen to the show that goes back to what are some of the basic, you know, you gave us one basic thing. I love that idea of don't reply forward, you know, forward. So you, you're not replying to a bad email. So let's just go back to some of the basic things that we can advise, you know, the security teams, the people that report to the CISO, you know, what, how can we, what else is there? Just basic, simple steps to st let these employees know that don't click on that link. Right. Okay. So I think what I'm going to do here is um, it would be good to have a visual. So I'm going to try and paint the picture for uh, the listeners. And also, of course, you know, LinkedIn Live with this screen that I'm looking at you on. Um, I don't have the use of a whiteboard right now. But if people can imagine the scenario, um, the word Google. Google is with two letters in the middle that are O's, right? Mm -hmm. You change them to zeros, okay, it looks somewhat similar. So try and picture that. For everybody listening to us on your radio show, Kim, try and picture Google with two zeros in the middle. And now think, whenever you're on Gmail, whenever you're Googling something, how often do you look up at the URL, which is that little white box where you type in google.com? Because typically, when your web browser opens up, you've got all this kind of stuff saved. So you rarely look up there. And it's the same with email, especially on your phone, by the way. So I'm talking about habit creation here. Mm -hmm. On your phone, in fact, I oftentimes don't look at the recipient because my phone shows me the name. It doesn't show me the email address. And you can spoof, this is called spoofing, somebody's name very easily. I could just register any email address and call it Kim, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And so it'll come across looking like Kim's. And so we, what we have to do is build habit formation in our users for this and then simulate attacks to the users because that will constantly train them to push their eyes up you know, where those email addresses, where those URLs are, are, are entered and then gamify it. So if a CISO can gamify this where, hey, users, I'm going to come get you anytime. And it's going to be a game. And for the people that get fooled for it, you're going to be on the wall of shame. <laughs> and for the people that are the top people that never get fished, right, in my simulation, there's a $50 gift card in it for you. You know, something like this. 
I mean, this is a very cheap investment in an organization so that you rally the troops and get people. You want to get people talking at the water cooler about, oh, did you see that latest fish? It was a fat cat tripping over a mouse. I was so tempted to click on it, but I didn't. I'm a hero. <laughs> I like that. It kind of reminds me I belong to a golf country club and if you don't pay your bill you know they in these country clubs your name's on a board that you haven't paid your bill i kind of yeah. like that that's pretty you know that you you what we respond you know right? yeah to the, the old village shaming right <laughs> yeah yeah countries like germany for example the privacy laws are so strict in germany you can't do leaderboards and shaming boards you just can't do that you're not even allowed Right. So that's so, you, you know, there are organizations which wouldn't permit that. I think we're pretty free with that in the United States here, which is likely the bulk of our audience. Um, but, yeah, so that would be one thing or several things that I've just mentioned that I think would be super helpful for people. Mm. Well, I had a couple of weeks ago on my show, I had Ori Eisen, and he is, I don't know if you know who he is, but he is creating the future of going passwordless. And right. if anybody, you know, you can follow our show on any platform that you listen to podcasts on and you should everyone, I highly suggest you go li listen to that episode because he is the one that in three years, passwords are going to be like fax machines. We just don't use them. So right. um, what's your thought about that? Going passwordless. And until then, Miguel's answered my thoughts on that. He nailed it for me. So thank yep. you. until then, use different passwords for each account you have. You know, I mean, this is this is very basic cyber hygiene right here, but you would be shocked. Still, okay, I, I, I'm not going to quite get this right, but I think the number one password being used is password. I think the number two is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, exclamation, right? Mm -hmm. you know, like and I mean, it's just like, really? This is it? So, so yes. And, okay, I'm going to give everybody what I think is a brilliant tip because Ori, and by the way, Ori Eisman, who's doing, you know, passwordless, um, and Patrick Edwards, I just want to get to your comment before I go back to Ori. 99% of cyber attacks target end-user devices. The goal is identity theft. Patty, you're right, man. Stealing online credentials to take over accounts and steal money, redirect transactions, access sensitive private data, and then holding it to ransom. You're right, and Keith says... I agree. It's time for the password to join the DVD player and exactly retirement. That's great. Uh, exactly. I love that one. Um, and Patty's jumped back in again. Uh, new generation solutions like passwordless web authentication transcend this. Accessing online web services is frictionless, and security like multi-factor authentication is visible to users. Right. Seamlessness, access, and better security are a win-win for users and increase engagement. You're nailing it, Patty. You're absolutely right about this. This is a powerful business driver. But in two years, this will be a business necessity to stop customers uh, wandering away to competitors. Now, small world story, Ori Eisner went to high school in Tel Aviv with my CEO, Gil Schwed, who invented Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, they, they pumped out some real cyber people because my boss, right, Gil Schwed, he's the father of what I call the founding father of cybersecurity, right, inventing the firewall, so very cool. Now, passwords, I'm going to give you a little trick until Paddy and Ari solve all our problems for us because that's right. they are going to solve those problems for us, and I love it. Uh, and, in fact, they are being solved right now. But we're going to have to have passwords until we get to that place where it's mass distribution of these new technologies. So... Build an algorithm in your mind. Okay, now that sounds scary to a lot of listeners, especially those who are maybe not as not gadget geeks like you and I, Kim. Mm -hmm. An algorithm, that's a fancy word for just a code. That's all an algorithm is, it's a code. So this is what you do. Let's say, for example, you have a Gmail account. Now, we're asking you to have different passwords for all these accounts. How are you going to remember them? This is an absolute nightmare, in actual fact. The guy that started this whole alphanumeric, you know, capitals, you know, hashed all this, he made, a, he made a letter of apology. It was quite funny. It was genuine. Um, and he put it out there as an open letter that was syndicated in all of these newspapers globally saying, yeah, I screwed up. That wasn't a good idea after all. Because what we actually did to users by telling them, well, you have a capital. Well, you've got to have a non-cap. Well, you've got to have a symbol. Oh, and you've got to have a number. And oh, at least eight digits. It's like, good luck with that. Try remembering an arbitrary set of digits and symbols. You can't. 
Human beings can't do them. And I think it was Columbia University that did an amazing study. I'm pretty sure it was Columbia. So if you Googled something like Columbia password, um, uh, uh, um, Columbia password passphrase, there, that will be, that'll get it for you. They did a study where they showed that passphrases are more secure than the alphanumeric passwords, and also people remember them. So what's a passphrase? A passphrase is this. This is my Gmail account. That would be a passphrase. Obviously, I would remember that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's a silly thing to put as your password for Gmail. But if you in your own head can exchange certain letters for a number or a symbol that only you know, then this is my Gmail account is something you remember. And it has so many letters in it, which you have arbitrarily changed just a few of the letters to either a symbol or a number that it would be very difficult. It would take 10,000 years of man hours to crack that code. It really would. So, so think about it. This is my Gmail account. And, and I want to just remind you that the Voice America radio show is going to stop in less than two minutes, um, Eddie. So yeah. we we on LinkedIn Live are going to go all the way to the top of the hour, but I have one minute, so I'm gonna well, I'm gonna wrap up. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, why don't we? Yeah, why don't we wrap up because I'm probably down to about thirty seconds, and then we'll talk to our LinkedIn Live viewers and we'll expand on this story. conversation. So, Eddie. Thank you so much for being on the Voice of America radio show. And I hope for all of our viewers, um, we had a little bit of technical glitches on the radio end, trying to tie the two together. I hope you come back next week for another great cybersecurity expert that I will have on the show. We look forward to all of our guests. Um, again, follow me um, with our great events that we're having next week. We have another great speaker at our show. It's We have someone from the banking industry. He's a CISO of First Bank, so please be sure to check that out. And I hope everyone on Voice America, all the audio listen listeners, stay safe and stay secure. And we will see you next week. Make sure you can listen to this episode on any of your favorite podcast um, downloads that you have. So thanks, everyone. for tuning into and security for all be sure to join your host kim hakem for another episode of the show next friday at noon pacific time and 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america business channel and don't forget you can follow kim on linkedin by searching for kim hakem that's kim h-a-k-i-m to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events <laughs>